Welcome to Love Canberra, a podcast about love, sex and relationships here in the heart of the nation. Today we're exploring orgasmic meditation, or OM for short. What is it, and is it as salacious as its name suggests? I spoke to two OM practitioners to find out. Meet Smita, Canberra's first and only OM coach. When people hear the term orgasm, they think of climax. They think of that high intensity, high sensation, short release of a sensation in the body like it's kind of like that fire that builds up and we caught up one Sunday morning in her office in Manuka where she walked me through the theory behind orgasmic meditation according to Smita Om offers a new way of understanding the female orgasm one that's so much more than just about climaxing we describe orgasm as being uh, it's the state of going out of control. So it's the moment at which your body begins to go out of control. So that can begin with heat, flushing of the cheeks, sweaty palms, heart palpitations, muscular contraction. So it's it's the activation of what's known as the involuntary. So the things that you're not consciously doing, but your body is going to this state. And and so orgasm in this context has a much more expanded view and it has peaks and valleys of sensation you can have high sensation and you, it can even include climax so um, climax is not necessarily a dirty word in this sense it's just like one of the experiences you can have and it can be like the heightened experience of your orgasm but if it doesn't occur in your experience it doesn't mean that it was an inadequate experience or like things didn't go to completion so here's the Cliff's Notes Guide to OM. It's defined as a wellness practice like yoga or meditation. But unlike yoga or meditation, it's a partnered activity in which one person, typically a man called the stroker, strokes a clitoris of a woman called the strokee. So kind of confronting, right? Especially for a woman who might OM with someone who's not her partner or someone she doesn't really know. But the way an OM is conducted takes some of the potentially uncomfortable aspects out of it. OMs, for instance, are highly structured, with both people following a series of steps across 15 minutes. This, Smita said, gives participants certainty over what they're entering into each time. It also has the effect of ritualising OM, making it almost mundane. You can come to it with a practitioner mindset. So in this sense, you don't have to be in the mood to have an arm. You don't have to feel a certain way. You don't have to feel turned on. Like you can come with whatever you're at, wherever you're at in your life. If you're tired, if you're overwhelmed, if you're anxious, if you're angry, you can still come and have an arm and let yourself for 15 minutes go into this experience. And then at the end of it, you can see how you feel. And quite often, most people leaving an arm feel much better than when they came in. And then there's the idea of no OZs. With the practice, it's designed to be uh, the way it is with no OZs, with no, like, if you do this for me, I will do, do this for you. And, and that's an important part because it's important for women not to feel like there's some kind of reciprocation needed or some kind of, um, uh, like, that she will have to, like, pay for her pleasure in some way. And she knows that she can fully receive, and that will drop her vigilance at 
whether or not this practice will be for her so that she can safely come in and go, there's something in it here for me and I don't have to do anything else to pay for my pleasure. For me to mention the four tenets of OM, simplicity, desire, attention and connection. Here's simplicity. Often when we want to increase or heighten our sexual experience, like typically most people add things to the experience. So they might add music or candles or uh, sexy lingerie or toys and um, to be able to increase the sensation. But in OM, we actually want to strip everything back so that there's no distraction, so that we're able to focus on the su often subtle sensation that's already present in our bodies, bring, uh, bringing our awareness to it. And which is why everything is really simple, like you're on the floor, you only have just as much as you need, which is your nest, gloves if you're using it, lube and a timer. And this is why only the woman takes off her pants and the man leaves his clothes on. And the reason she takes off her pants is just so that he can have access to her genitals. It's stripping back, so the only thing left is to pay attention at the point of contact between the finger of the stroker and the woman's clitoris. In talking about desire, Smita mentioned something that I think is truly cool about OM, the idea that you can take what you do within an OM and apply it to life more broadly. When you're in the practice, especially as the stroker, you get to make a request for what you would like. So for example, if your stroker is stroking you and you want less pressure, you can say, would you use less pressure? Or you could say, would you move a little bit to the left? Or you could say, would you stroke a little faster? So really simple requests that can be met in the moment. And the more you begin to ask for what you want in an arm and have someone respond and to your request, the more you can almost start to specifically ask what you want in your life. It was unclear to me when Smita was talking about the strokey asking her stroker to stroke in a particular way what it is that they're aiming for. Is it to provoke pleasure or is it something else? So I had to ask. In terms of making these adjustments, um, what is it that they're hoping to move closer to? They're, um, they're moving closer to the highest point of sensation. Uh, because uh, you want to go for what's known as the one o'clock spot, which is where the highest concentration of nerve endings is. So it's being moving closer to that sense of feeling of connection. So it's a feeling of ignition or a feeling of electricity or feeling where something like a sensation arises so it could be warmth it could be tingling um, that a woman can feel either in her genitals or uh, throughout her body but also for the man he might be able to feel a bit of a buzz on his finger and he might also be able to feel a sense of warmth and tingling start to move through his body. When I started hanging out with people who om I noticed that they spoke om and after a while, I began to speak OM as well, such as saying thank you in the very particular way that OM practitioners do. You'll notice that later. But given how OMing is ritualised in so many other ways, it should have come as no surprise that what is said and how it's said is important too. Here's Smita explaining the proper way to initiate an OM. Basically, if you want to have an OM with someone, uh, you would ask them, would you like to have an arm or would you like to arm? And either person can ask, the stroker or the strokey can be the one who asks the question. And uh, the person can answer yes or no, like 
both are perfectly appropriate answers. And so the language is important because we want to avoid asking things like, can I own you? Or would you own me? Or can I stroke you? Or would you stroke me? Which takes away the notion of giving and receiving. And it, it makes it more neutral to say, would you like to have an own? Would you like to have this experience together? And the other person can feel free to say yes or no. Now, let's take a step back. Let's consider how we got here. How did Smita come to be an OM coach? Let's hear about her journey. Smita's story begins back in 2012 when she was in New York. She'd travelled there to attend a course which teaches women to use the power of pleasure to have their way with the world. Now, a person doesn't take lightly the decision to travel halfway around the world to attend a course a full-month course. Sismita didn't do this on a whim. Rather, she'd been seeking an antidote to an unhappiness that had been hanging over her for some time, an unhappiness she couldn't quite decipher or shed. Prior to going to New York, I was actually really miserable. Like, I didn't admit it at the time, but looking back now, I was... I felt... uh, I felt kind of defeated because I felt like I'd kind of done all the right things in life. I was educated, like I, uh, I had two university degrees. I was in a, quite a good career. I was in a relationship um, that wasn't, um, it wasn't great. Like I wasn't happy in the relationship and I didn't know like what was wrong. Like was it him, was it me, was it us? But I, I, I sort of didn't know what else to do. And I, I was miserable. I didn't have good relationships with anyone. I was kind of going through the motions of getting up, going to work, after work, going out, um, socializing, but kind of numbing myself out from life, doing a lot of shopping. I, I spent, you know, I would, I would either be shopping or eating out or I was distracting myself and I was unhappy. And I wanted more power, but I didn't know how to get it. And then one day during her course in New York, Smita met a woman who said, I teach people to get in touch with their orgasm. This was Smita's introduction to orgasmic meditation. Intrigued though Smita was, it wasn't until a couple of months later that Smita began to take notice. This happened when Nicole Daydon, founder of the orgasmic meditation company One Taste, spoke at the course's graduation. I don't even know much about what she said. She was talking um, about, well, she was talking about the topic of orgasm, but a lot of it was just like, answering questions and her personal story rather than much detail about the practice but it was more that I was really taken by her as a person like what she looked like what I could feel from her and she was funny and answered questions with a lot of um, insight and knowledge and she was basically like an intelligent smart beautiful woman and so I was really like attracted to like her in the sense that wow like she's this woman and she talks about this practice that is a big part of her life and so it made me pay attention a little bit more to it. Smita bought Nicole's book The Art of Orgasm, read it and returned to Australia where she searched for people who were teaching Om. However she discovered that Om hadn't yet taken root. Smita put orgasmic meditation to one side and didn't tell her partner about her investigations. Fast forward a few months Smita and her partner broke up. Smita grieved, came out the other side, and found she was ready for something different. All this time, Smita had stayed in touch with the friends she'd made in New York. 
some of them had gone on to pursue orgasmic meditation, and they told Smita how it was changing their lives for the better. They were sharing their stories of how they were feeling, like they were feeling really turned on, really connected. They were able to um, have relationships in men that were working for them because they were actually now able to ask for what they want and ask for what they want in a way that was in approval, like so that they approved of the men, whether or not the men said yes or no, they were still in approval of it. They didn't feel rejected. They didn't feel unseen or unheard. They just, um, it's like they had more power um, to, to live the lives that they wanted. And I wanted some of that. So tell me about your first arming session. Was that done here in Australia? Yes, so my first arm training session was actually my coach and trainer was in the States at the time. So it was actually done over Skype. So we'd had a few coaching sessions and she talked me through what the process was. So I was able to arrange to arm with someone who was traveling to Canberra from Sydney. He was just visiting for the weekend and he's someone that I'd met through the online community and we agreed to have an arm. So we actually met at a friend's place so my friends were around in the house and that was another thing that helped me feel um, more comfortable and then we just set up um they actually had a meditation room and we just set up in there and um yeah i armed with this person and we were guided through the process with my coach over skype since that first arm smita has now been involved with orgasmic meditation for over two years So she's had a long time to come to terms with this practice that's no doubt a little too much for some. But I was curious about what she thought in those early days. Did she find orgasmic meditation confronting back then? Confronting, yes. Yes. And I still have moments of feeling confronted. But definitely the first few times I armed, I was like, I, I would, I think I felt nauseous pretty much the first couple of times. Like, but because I was so sure about what I knew the practice would give me. And that was complete trust on one hand. On the other hand, there was also intuition. I trusted myself to know that the confronting was just for me, like part of my experience of like breaking through my own, uh, my own thoughts about my own body. And over time, I would say I probably have more approval for my body now than I did before I started arming. And I actually now feel more seen than I've ever felt in my life since I've been arming. So I don't, I generally as a rule these days, I don't feel much, um, I don't feel as confronted. And, and yes, it was definitely something that was very present early on. And I just had to like put my mind to rest and say, yes, I, yes, I'm feeling confronted and I'm still gonna go through with this experience. We live in a post-sex in the city age, one where Clear Magazine's sealed section has become redundant. But even in the 80s and 90s, sex is pretty out there in our music and popular culture. We grew up with it, marinated in it. But Smita wasn't born here. She and her family immigrated to Australia and she had a conservative religious upbringing. This has had a huge impact on how much she's had to overcome in welcoming Om into her life. I'm from a culture that definitely has um, taboos around sexuality and and I, um, I have a background, a religious background as well. I grew up going to church, so there was like a lot of conditioning around that. 
and then like as a an appropriate woman who's educated like there's even just the like in my current culture like um a woman wanting more from you know uh, her relationship and her sex life and wanting more for herself like you know rather than being self-sacrificing and being like thinking about others and like uh you know giving off myself so there's like things that are being have and continue to be broken down on all those levels and it's about me standing up for myself in a way that no one has ever stood up for me before so I mentioned before that we're fairly comfortable here in Australia with sex. Om, however, is still something that's pretty radically different from what we're used to. It's intimate, sexual but not sexual, it's highly ritualised, it's done between romantic partners, between strangers and between people who might be in a relationship with somebody else. Plus, it's female-centric. For all these reasons, and probably others too, there's a certain stigma that surrounds it. Smita thinks that it's only a matter of time before Om loses this stigma. She thinks that it's an idea whose time has come. In many ways, it's like what's come before. When we think about yoga like 30 years ago, like, you know, people, a lot of people hadn't heard of it. It was weird. It was considered like um, on the edge of, on the fringe, it was in the, on the fringes of society, like a certain type of person engaged in that practice. And now yoga is mainstream. It's, you know, there's yoga students everywhere in every street corner, in gyms. It's, yoga is mainstream in a way that maybe 30 years ago it was on the fringe. And in a way, um, there's a hope that, um, orgasmic meditation might become more mainstream and, and it be the next yoga because um, people are ready for it and more and more people are interested in it and practicing it and you know I think as a culture we are allowing ourselves more approval around our sexuality and taking charge and owning it for ourselves rather than being told by um, by the culture like how we should be so I think with more openness and approval from people like this um this kind of a practice can potentially become more mainstream or at least widely practiced and there can be signs on the say like you know orgasmic meditation center and people wouldn't necessarily blink an eye mm. what's your personal relationship though with public perception i mean do you ever sort of worry about what people will think with with you being a practitioner and being a coach and all that so um <clears throat> i i guess i had to make it uh so i had to make a decision about like you know how out am i going to be you know can i can this be a practice that i keep closed in my life or am i going to like put it all over the um um, like put it all over my Facebook and you know walk down the street with a t-shirt that says powered by orgasm and like you know like how how far am I willing to go so I I'm, I'm open about it in the sense that I would never deny that I'm an on practitioner I may not talk about it, I may not just say like I do this thing unless the conversation was going that way so if someone might were to ask me a question that was leading that direction I would answer it I do for example publicly on my Facebook page, I do say that I am attending events, that I've done the coaching program. When people ask me, um, I'm starting up my own coaching practice. When people ask me, what is it that you do? I actually then say, actually, the coaching is based on this practice called orgasmic meditation. I talk about it quite in a matter of fact way. Sometimes it surprises people, sometimes it doesn't. So I'm open about it in the sense that 
I don't deny it's happening, but I'm not broadcasting it widely at this point. So, I mean, because it's on your Facebook page, then your friends know. Mm -hmm. um, what about family? Mm -hmm. um, I guess they would know as well. No one has actually spoken to me directly about it. And until they feel the need to or like, I haven't been criticized. I haven't had anyone personally criticize me about it as yet. We've heard from Smita, who shared her story as an arm coach and as a strokee. Let's now cross to the other side of an arm and hear from a stroker. I'm Sai. I am mostly a web developer. Uh, I'm originally from Geelong and I've been in Canberra for about three months. Sai's 40 but looks much younger. Of course, I told him this and, of course, he was pleased to hear it. At the time that I recorded our conversation, he'd been umming for just over a year. I asked him how he got into it. It seemed to come from left field. I was coming out of a long relationship and it appeared to at first just be part of the process of um, expansion into the dating scene, I guess. And it came into my attention because I was asked if I'd like to um. So I was pretty unfazed when he learned what umming involves. You know, the whole stroking a woman's clitoris for 15 minutes thing. He said he'd heard of much stranger things. And then, as we were talking about how he feels about being a stroker, a note of humility entered his response. I suppose there was a mix of excitement and a mix of awe, I guess, because my experience was that the, the people that I owned with were young, beautiful women. You know, it wasn't sort of like, like some cliched thing where women would do it if they were desperate or something like that there was nothing like that going on so it was really more like a little bit of a sense of awe that I had that there were women who were like kind of really showing up in this very very intimate um, process and kind of a sense of like wow you know what that this seems like something that are uh, really fortunate to be involved in like so I felt quite grateful for the experience I guess when I mentioned orgasmic meditation to a friend of mine, one of his first questions was, at what point do the male and female swap places? When does a male get stroked? I explained to him that it's not like that. Om is a female-centred practice. Well, if that's the case, my friend said, what's in it for the guy? From a pleasure point of view, I, I think that's a fairly narrow way of describing uh, the pleasure that we get from our sexual connections with other people with um, other people yeah obviously there's going to be a perception of how much pleasure people are experiencing that I know that some strokies haven't had pleasurable ohms and that's okay too I, I personally have never felt like it's a competition to see who's going to get the most amount of pleasure out of the ohm and I think that's the sort of um, commerce arrangement in relationship that many people at home are quite happy to get away from. We're not really wanting to live the rest of our lives, you know, keeping, keeping a score on how much more fun or pleasure or, you know, value we got out of our relationship with other people. You're probably wondering what a stroker feels when he's in an arm. His size response. I feel a real mix of of things. 
sometimes I feel quite turned on um, and it feels like my body's involved and and I feel like that is when that happens that feels like progress for me because I think in the early time in the early um, ohms like I generally wouldn't have a sexual response to it I would have an interested response I would I would enjoy it but I wouldn't have a, you know a sexual response to it literally and as I've gone along I've noticed that there's been this settling in feeling that I get and so through that 15 minutes there will be periods in that 15 minutes where I really feel like I've sort of sunk into another layer that that is much less cognitive than how I I normally am I'm I'm normally quite a thinking person like I I'm constantly noticing that I'm thinking and going back to my breath as as a general rule so in the sense that it's a mindfulness ex, um, exercise like a meditation I've benefited from the, the meditation and and over time I've been able to find like deeper levels of connection in that meditation that are not um, intellectual Mm. So you mentioned turned on and having a sexual response. So you mean feeling aroused? Yeah, literally having a physical response. Okay. Like being like having a heart on. Okay. And um, is it sort of strange to come into this kind of activity where, you know, you will become aroused and then sort of 15 minutes is up and then you go off on your merry way? I think that it probably feels strange and I think it did feel strange at, at one point that, you know, it's, you wouldn't even talk about it, like, you know, that there wasn't anything to explain or describe. After doing it a hundred times or whatever, there's none of that at all because you really you really get into this um, rhythm of not having to explain anything. You simply, you have a noticing, like a... Uh, what you would call sharing frames at the end where you describe something that might have happened in your body during the um, ohm. Um, But other than that, everything that did happen just happened. Sinai talked a bit about the people he's armed with, whether he arms as strangers or people he knows, whether he arms as the same few people. Given arming could be seen as a practice men might use as a gateway to having sex with women, I queried Sai about how his relationships with the people he's armed with have tended to progress. You mentioned that with people who, you know, were previously strangers who you consequently began to develop some sort of a rapport with through Oming. I'm interested how many of those those relationships became more than platonic. Not very many. So there were some then? I think there's only been one. And I think that might have become not platonic before we owned. <laughs> so that's another bad example. So you don't think that owning, in terms of it being quite an intimate practice, that it has a way of um, predisposing two people to possibly developing sexual relations? I might not be a good person to answer that. I think it does. So I really do think it does. I think that 
like I've found a deepening level of like real sexiness and juiciness in the way I experience people that I am with. Um, I'm not generally someone who looks for sexual relationships. I enjoy them when they happen, but it's not really kind of top of my list of priorities. And by the same token, I'm, I'm really not trying to make my relationships. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, oming and i'm meeting people who are oming and so and very often very often people are coming into oming my experience is that they often want to put their sexual experiences like their their sex that they have sort of to the side maybe there might be a sense of oh that way hasn't been working and let's explore this ohm side of things or or they already have a partner and and so they they actually want to keep those really separate and distinct things has umming changed who you're attracted to? It's it's expanded who I'm attracted to. So um, I think I was sort of kind of stereotypical um, in, in that a lot of who I was attracted to was informed by pornography and, and vice versa. Or, don't know how that all works exactly, but um, like I definitely notice you know i can definitely notice like attraction to women who i wouldn't have been my type in the past and like that's really obvious and it's it's not happened that i've become unattracted to to women i used to be attracted to so it feels like it's expanding and i hope it keeps expanding um i've really enjoyed aiming with a very like wide range of of women um i mean even just from an age point of view in early, you know, early 20s through to, to 60s and so forth. So does that mean that you have broken past those barriers of, you know, feeling like it's a little bit awkward being physically intimate with someone who is, say, in their 60s or, you know, someone who would previously have been quite far out of the bounds of what you would have been attracted to? I'd be silly if I claimed that I didn't categorize women in different age groups as loosely as I do now. Like, it doesn't really seem to be a big thing anymore. Um, just, like, I noticed that there was just the, the feeling that arises, like the feeling of, of, of just, I suppose, attraction and interest and curiosity and, um, in, like, just doesn't really care about all of the things that the mind wants to come in and, and label, you know, oh, this woman's fat or this woman's not a blonde or whatever, like it doesn't care about the labels that are, that the mind applies to real people. Um, if you give it a chance to all happen on the level of actual experience, um, the, the mental stuff falls away. So earlier on, Smita and I talked about how open she is about this important part of her life. I'd say that it would be more difficult for women to talk about their interest in OM than it would be for a man, but given how non-mainstream it is at this stage, it's probably not easy for men to admit practising it either. So I put the same question to Sai as I had to Smita. How open are you about the fact that you do OM and you know that you're interested in, in all of that? I'm not really looking to be responsible for how other people feel about what I do. I sort of fall into the camp of preferring that people 
make their own boundaries with what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with. If they would approach me and say, I'm not comfortable with with what you do, I'd be then, well, why are you allowing yourself to be exposed to it? You know, why don't you make your own boundaries? And then it does become a look a little bit, especially with families, sometimes it becomes a bit political around, you know, what's appropriate and what's not. So who in your life knows that you own, like, family, friends, colleagues? I don't tell anyone, but they they would see that I'm join certain events and so forth or on facebook you yeah yeah i might share an event or whatever and if they if they read into it they would work that out um so i don't really monitor it i guess is the way to say it i'm not really sure i haven't like done a poll to see who knows and who doesn't right okay so you don't really hide it but you don't really sort of put it out there very blatantly either many people would say that if something's on my wall it's fairly blatant um, I think people kind of look at the veneer of it and they don't go deeper. They, they it sort of looks like some some weird hippie practice and um, and they either interested in that or they're not. Like it, there's there's just a nice nice veneer that 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 one tastes have over there. The way they um, and the coaches, the way they sort of advertise it, that's that doesn't really feel distasteful and. And I know I've talked to people about it and they, they don't really know what it's about and they don't really want to know. And so they don't really want to know and it hasn't been shoved in their face as far as I can tell. So they get what they want, what they need from it. And that, I'm quite happy to follow that same philosophy. Okay, so you don't feel like, um, you don't feel any element of embarrassment or anything like that about it? No, not about that kind of stuff. Okay. Now, it's all good and well to learn about orgasmic meditation by talking to people about it. I, on the other hand, wanted to go gonzo, try it for myself. And who would play my stroker? What are your sort of thoughts in terms of this period prior to oming with me? Specifically prior to oming with you? Yes. Don't really think about it, it um, which isn't a, a bad thing. I... I suppose I have a sense of being really interested in how you, in what your experience is and, and hearing back from you how it felt. I, I generally think, like, more often than not, people have, like, a, a, a really, um, an, an eye-opening experience on some level. And you, you, you can't predict, I don't, I can't predict when, what that's going to be for you or for anyone else. Um, but I would expect that we'll have a conversation afterwards and you'll say, yeah, it was really interesting. Sai continued in this fashion for some time using om terms like chimessence, but it wasn't quite the response that I was looking for. I think I'm asking the question the wrong way. Like, do you find it strange that, you know, the two of us can be having such a mature conversation, you know, kind of knowing that we're going to be intimate in the not-too-distant future? No, I really don't. (laughs) I guess this is the simple answer. One Monday, a week after we spoke, I picked Sai up after work. It was a day of our ROM and we were headed to Smita's office because Smita was going to facilitate our ROM. Hello. Hello. 
How are we going for time? Yeah, not too bad. You know, four minutes. I think we can make it. <laughs> On our drive, we talked about regular people things, like the weather and size woolen fingerless gloves. I'm quite happy with it. It's quite cold day. Oh, you got your gloves. You're all set. I know. My cool gloves. Do you like my gloves? I do. And my daughter's. Oh, and they fit you well. I guess they stretch. Yeah, they just, I just stretched them. Forced them. Isn't she sad not having her gloves? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, isn't she sad not having her dad? <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> you know, we're talking They're about angry. your gloves. <laughs> Um, no, I think she's happy that I'm wearing her clothes. Mm. It's like a part of her is with you. <laughs> we also spent a lot of time talking about how to get to Smeeta's building. I take the right and then I turn back around and then I take the left and the left to get onto Canberra Avenue, then you could show me that special, you know, parking spot in front of her building. But this, this part better be on the podcast. I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> Why is that? Because we're having just such scintillating conversation about yeah. how to get to We'll just place. be juxtaposition. You can just <laughs> juxtapose it against, you know, you asking for the stroke to be changed. It's like, how do we get to Smithers? How do we get to the spot? <laughs> Where is the best parking? <laughs> Drive faster, stroke slower. <laughs> But eventually, we made it. I like the smell in here. It's very woody. Mm. Hello. 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 Hey, Smisha. Sorry we're late. We got a little bit lost. <laughs> a little. That's all right. Come through. All right, so just take a couple of deep breaths in. Think back to high school English class and what you were taught about how to write an essay. Our evening in Smeeta's office bore some resemblance to this. First, Smeeta told Sai and I what we were going to be doing, and then we did it, and then we talked about what we did and how we felt. In the what we're going to be doing part, Smeeta ran through each step of the OM, and then we all pitched in and set up the nest. After the nest was set up, I took off my skirt and underwear. Sai and I got into the nest and settled into our positions. Sai, I'll get you to do the grounding steps. So a safe portivana by saying I'm going to touch your thighs now. Ivana, I'm going to touch your thighs now. Okay. okay. And then using the palms of his hands, he's going to apply grounding pressure. So again, the emphasis is like grounding. So in your intention and your pressure, grounding down towards the earth. And Ivana, same thing, have your intention about grounding. Imagine that you're breathing in and pushing your breath right down to your pelvis, and that'll help you ground. Remember, getting into the nest, you're already successful. <laughs> well, I was certainly tickled to hear that. What came next, though, was the only part of the OM that I'd been dreading. And now I'll have you do the noticing step. So you can place your hands either on her thighs, either side of her 
pussy and describe what you see in value neutral terms, making sure your strokey can hear you. So I contemplated long and hard whether I should play for you what Sai said, but I ultimately thought, you don't need to hear that. Instead, I'm going to give you Smita's description of what the stroker does during this part of the yom. He'll look at your pussy and in value neutral terms describe what he sees. So he'll be mentioning colour, texture, directionality, any lubrication, anything that he actually can just see. And he'll say it loud enough for you to be able to hear and you can just acknowledge and say thank you. Now, I know that the action that Smita described is meant to make a woman feel seen. I can understand that. And I'm sure that if I ommed enough times, going through this part of the experience would eventually be no big deal. As it was, though, for my first um, I felt, well, kind of embarrassed. But he did his bit, I did mine, and life went on. And then you can say thank you, Ivana. Thank you. At this point, Sai snapped on some latex gloves and applied some lube to the tip of his stroking finger. If you place about a five cent coin worth on your left first finger and your right thumb. And at this point, I'll start the timer and then you'll do another safe point and say, I'm going to touch you now. I'm going to touch your pussy now. Okay. And so he's going to do the, the next stage is the lube stroke. So just slow down there a little bit, size. So you're just going to, he's going to start with pulling your pussy lips apart. And then at the top of the introitus, place his left finger down and then stroke right up to the left, upper left hand quadrant. And then when you get to that spot, just hold there for a moment. Okay. And then He's going to place his right hand under your butt. So if you just lift your butt up, so you can ask, yep, and place down. And then he's going to place his thumb just to rest gently at the bottom of your introitus. Okay, both of you take a deep breath in and out. So I'm going to have you start stroking. So, Sai, we're looking for a really short length, light, medium speed upstroke. So we're going to start with upstrokes. So Ivana, if you feel like you have an adjustment, you can ask for it. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if you don't feel anything as well, because I can help guide as well. Okay. Um, so would you like to move down a little bit? Thank you. tell which direction you're stroking, whether it's up or down. Strange. Okay, so Sai, imagine that your emphasis as well as your intention is in the upward direction and I uh, speed up a little bit. So would you stroke about twice as fast as you are now? doing great guys. Thank you. And both of you breathe.
just change to a downstroke now. And at that point, the stroker is following the sensation that he can feel in his body. So he felt that you'd reached the peak and that it was time to change the stroke. And because of the experience he has in the stroker, he's actually able to tell that. So if you feel like you have a sound that you want to make that feels authentic to what you're feeling, like you know you have the freedom to do that and it's also not necessary to make a sound if you don't feel anything or you don't feel the need to, especially because this is your first experience, um, women don't necessarily make sounds, but the invitation is there. Okay, thank you. Would you be able to do longer strokes, please? Continue to do up strokes longer? Um, yeah. Yes, please. Thank you. Okay, so that was just the two minute bell that just went off. So we're going to transition to the last two minutes of the arm where the emphasis is on the down stroke. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a longer stroke, generally slower and with more pressure. And that's the final bell, the 15 minute bell. So the stroker will now place his left hand over the top of a pussy, take out the right hand from underneath, turn your fingers up towards the other hand and Pressure. So just start with a little bit of pressure and just check in with your strokey. So this, I'm just putting pressure up towards your head. Mm -hmm. Would you like more pressure than that? Um, no, thank you. Okay. And now I'm going to just shift to press down and you can see what the difference is. And then you can ask for what you prefer, up towards the head or down towards the floor. Um, I think... Well, the first, not towards the head. Mix it yeah. okay. <sighs> Great job. So after you've um, done the grounding, I'll have you pull the towel out from under her butt, fold it in half and place it over the top of her pussy and just lightly dab the lube. You can do that a couple of times, moving the towel position. Great. And then... Turn the towel inside out and place it back down. And then at this point you can take your gloves off. And Ivana, you can do any further cleanup with the towel as you need and you'll uncross your legs. And then give your stroke here a hand. Pull you up. Thank you. And then just staying where you are, we're going to share frames. So this okay. is the frames portion of the arm. Sharing a frame is where the strokey and stroker talk about what they felt during the arm. So there was a moment where I felt um, flushed in my cheeks and down my neck. Then you would say thank you. Thank you. And if you'd like to share a frame? Um, I think for the first sort of portion of the arm, I felt a bit numb down there and then one of the directions that Smita gave helped to 
create more sensation. And what did you feel? What was the sensation that you felt? Um, so where was the sensation firstly? Right near my clitoris. Okay, <laughs> great. Yeah. And what did it feel like? Um, well, because before um, I couldn't really feel size finger, mm -hmm. um, I could sort of detect pressure, but mm -hmm. it didn't really feel like strokes as such. Mm -hmm. And then with the change, I could feel the stroking a bit more. Mm -hmm. So you could actually, yeah, feel um, movement happening or a, a stroking. I could actually feel the sensation more, the more skin to skin contact. Okay. Mm. Right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So um, that's your first answer. I'll have you hop out of the nest and you can put your pants back on. We'll put the nest away and then we'll do a debrief. During the debrief, Smita said that my eyes looked more dilated post-om and that my skin looked more smooth, to which I answered, of course. Okay, thank you. She asked if I felt sleepy or fuzzy and lightheaded, and I replied that I thought so, just a bit. This is what Smita prescribed for me. Whatever you do this evening, make it nurturing and relaxing for you. So examples would be to um, have a hot bath, um, have a digestive conversation with a friend, or watch a light movie or something light. So avoid getting into intense conversations, reading anything intense, because uh, something that has strong emotional content can have the impact of bringing you down and make you feel flat or it's like a depressed like feeling so you don't want to have a feeling of crashing after the experience you want to come down gently and sleep well so I would say have an early night because your body is just processing what you've just been through especially because it's your first experience and I can say that when I had my first dom I slept I went to bed at seven and I was out <laughs> it knocked me out so that's totally normal I'm um, good. It's been a while since I had a, gui a guided ohm, so I, I always find it a bit jarring because my intention is to wait for a feeling or a direction, like a like a response or something like that. So simply just kind of following instructions and changing the stroke feels really weird to me now. Like. Um, mm -hmm it's like at a different level so that that so that was interesting which is m mostly because we were doing a, a guided session but um all in all like i feel quite yeah i feel quite good feel quite mm. quite relaxed kind of a bit buzzy mm. yeah mm. and um i'll add a frame as well so like because i was part of the experience as well even though i wasn't like physically in the experience but in the room and guiding you like I have the same expansive feeling in my body so I have the sensation in my body now that I get after having it on so a sense of exp you know, expansiveness it's like oh, I feel like you know I've been stroked um, so a sensation that I had in my body was there was a moment when I felt a fluttering in my pussy that's um, something I um, could have shared as well when you guys were sharing the frames because um, being part of the experience is like I get to have a sense of the ride that you go on 
and that's because of the amount of the number of times I've armed so I can start to feel into when people are in that state like you you plug into it and you feel it because it's um, and then we realize how much we can actually feel of each other like we're not necessarily as separate as we think so we'll close out with uh, this is what I'm leaving with I'm leaving here with a sense of um, like the, the a sense of not being too concerned about time mm -hmm. thank you um, I'm leaving here with the with the sense that things have changed between Sai and I because we've had this intimate experience. Mm. Um, but I also feel like nothing has changed as well. I don't think it'll change too much how we behave around each other. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm leaving here with a reminder of what my first OM experience was like and I feel humbled, humbled and grateful to be part of your first OM experience. Thank you. And one last thing, one thing I'm grateful for. One thing I'm grateful for is Canberra in the spring. Mm, great. One thing that I'm grateful for in this immediate moment is um, for the both of you and for giving up part of your Monday night to see me through this. Mm. And I'm really grateful for your willingness and courage to uh, do something that um, took a lot of took a lot of guts. So I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Okay, and so we'll wrap it up there. So let okay. you guys transition to getting ready and do what you need to do. There's some water, so I'll again um, encourage you to drink hydrate, especially because it's been drying here. And again, it'll help everything work through your system. Mm. Alright. Alright. Cool. We did it. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not very good at that in-the-moment reflection kind of stuff. But as we put our chairs away, I realised that I was feeling something that was a response to what I'd just been through. I felt a bit lightheaded and out of body. It was a post-adrenaline rush. At least I diagnosed it as being that. A feeling of having done something new and exciting and made it out the other side. Smita and Sai though, I was watching them and they were total pros, cool, calm, collected. In our final moments in Smita's office, the two of them chatted about catching up the next morning before work. Not to do brunch or to have coffee, but to warm. And that's the end of episode one of the Love Canberra podcast. Love Canberra is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. The intro and outro music is courtesy of Proletor. A big thanks goes to Smita and Sai and to Kimo for production advice. On the next episode, I talk to Angel and Michael. They're a typical married Canberra couple in all but one respect. And so we sat down in the office and I said, so yeah, this is going to be complicated. She's going to bereavement leave is never complicated. All right, so my girlfriend's grandmother has died and we're going to be going to Melbourne for the funeral. Oh, that's fine, but I thought you were married. Yes, I am. Wait, does your wife know? Yes, she does. <laughs> that's always the first question. How does that work? Very complicated. We can get into it later, but I just need to sort of figure out how all this is going to work. That's next time on Love, Canberra. Thanks for listening.